Glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to open them to the Gospel according to Mark. Mark chapter 12. uh, And we're going to begin reading at verse 41. Just a few short verses today. But I want to read to you from the Gospel. You can get your Bible however you choose to, whether that's in book form or electronically on an app. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we want you to have one. We want you to take one of the ones that's in the seat back in front of you and take that home with you. Uh, We'll encourage you to read it and come back with questions, and we love to answer those kinds of questions. But because this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to stand in reverence and honor of the gospel, the good news. That's what gospel means, good news, according to Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 41. Hear the gospel. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offering offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ given to the people of God. And our response is, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, here we are in the middle of our, uh, well, kind of on the on the, we just crossed over. It's four weeks, so we have this week and next week. But we have, I've really enjoyed talking about what it means for a generous life. I know many of us, when we hear something on generosity, we're like, oh, okay, we're going to be talking about money for four weeks. Uh, you know, and it just kind of can kind of have that offsetting or off-putting type thing. But we're really beginning to look at what it means to have a generous life. Not just generous in our giving, in our financial giving, but what does it mean to have a generous life? And the first thing that we're finding out each week is that generosity begins with who? With God. Generosity begins with God. In my prayer, you you may have heard me say, it, it begins because God created all that there is. And He placed us in the midst of this generous gift. And He continues to give. He gave Jesus Christ who gave His life. He gave new life to Jesus. He He allowed Jesus to pour out the Holy Spirit, life on us. So generosity always begins with God. And when we know that, we then begin to understand that there's enough. And we can begin then to start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere. With not just our money, but with our time and our attention as well. This is what we mean by a generous life. We talked about that two weeks ago, and last week we looked at a generous attitude and that the kingdom thrives on a generous attitude because the king is the one who is so generous. That, that this gener- generous attitude means that we give without thinking about what we may get in return. And we saw again that it begins with God. That we can't have a generous banquet unless there is a generous banquet preparer. And God is the one who wants His table full for you and for me to be able to be there to receive from His hand. But as we get into this week, as we go down the stretch and we get to week three, 
I want to pause because I think that we, we then can kind of get in, if we, if we don't see ourselves as, as wealthy or having enough, if we've kind of looked at our finances and we're, we're really just trying to, to make it, we're just, we've really cut every expense that we can think of, and, and we just feel like we either don't have anything to give or that our gift really doesn't measure up. Well, I think that it's important that if your questions are, what if I can't give, or what if the amount I can give seems insignificant, that the Scripture today invites you into a generous life and has some things for you to remember. So let's turn to the Scriptures. Uh, just look back at those verses. I want you to see this because I, there are some things that we need to remember if we find ourselves feeling like our life, our gift, our finances are too small and insignificant. What are the things that we need to remember? There are three things. First, the first thing you need to remember is that Jesus sees you. Now, you you may not, uh, this may not be the first thing that, that grabbed you, but I want you to know if you feel like your contribution is insignificant or your ability to give is seriously diminished compared to someone else, I want you to know that Jesus sees you. Put your name right there. We see this right in the Scripture, right there. It says that calling His disciples to Him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put into the treasury, has put more into the treasury than all the others. And I've highlighted this poor widow. Because I want you to see this. This poor widow, and here we go with our weekly Greek lesson. The word for poor is the word patokse. It's kind of fun. You have to put the P and then the T and you kind of run it together, right? Patokse. Okay, so you ready to say that? One, two, three. Patokse. You've got to be careful you don't spit on the person in front of you. But let's try it one more time. Ready? One, two, three. Patokse. And while it's translated in your English Bible as poor, the truth of the matter is that the word signifies and says more about the situation. It signifies someone who is reduced to begging. Now that may not, I mean, another way of saying that is poor. Yes, I, I get that. It may seem like just words. But what this says to me, what I, what I, get, what I garner from this in understanding that it's not just, oh, poor, it's reduced to begging, says something. It describes a life situation, not just an economic category. And I think sometimes we can fall into that trap. I can fall into that trap where I think uh, about someone who's poor or in lower incomes. And on my best days, I just kind of leave them in that category. Or on my worst days, I might even think, well, if they had just made better life choices or those kinds of things. But what Jesus says in saying this Patokse widow, he begins to say that he understands that she has been reduced to begging. That her life circumstances have have the things that have happened in and around her, near her, to her, have reduced her to surviving through begging. When you connect that with the idea of widow, we understand. We we gather this. He's he's really pulling this together, putting both of these, that because she is a widow, because in that day and age there was no social security, there was no unemployment, and there was no way for a woman to make a living. They weren't allowed to work. You rely solely on your husband. So if you're a widow, what does that mean? Your husband is what? He's dead. 
And it also means that she has no family because she's been reduced to begging. That is the only thing available to her. This should say to us that Jesus sees you. And He sees you in your situation. It's not just seeing you, but He sees all that has happened around you, all that is going on in your life, what has happened that has reduced you. And maybe led others to categorize you. But Jesus knows what that means. He understands. And the first thing we have to hear when we think our contribution is insignificant is that Jesus sees you in your situation. I hope that's good news for you today. Secondly, Jesus knows your value and the value of your gift. I want you to look at this. We're going to look at verse 42 and 43. Verse 42, Mark writes, he's just kind of setting up the story. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. The very next verse, Jesus then says, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all others. The way I sum this up is to say that where Mark only sees cents, two cents, Jesus sees only sacrifice. Jesus sees your value and Jesus knows what you are contributing contributing. He knows the value of your gift. He doesn't just see it like through our eyes or through through the economy's eyes. Oh, well, they just threw in two pennies like Mark did. No, he says, she's put in more than all the others combined. He knows the value of your contribution, of your gift. He sees you in your situation. Lastly, Jesus uses you. Let this blow your mind for a while. When you think that your contribution is insignificant, Jesus is willing to use you to set an example for the church. Now, we see this because what did he do? He called his who? Called his disciples. He said, come on over. This, this, should, this should clue us in. If you find yourself or you call yourself a follower of Jesus, someone who believes in Jesus, wants to live your life as Jesus calls us to live our lives, then that means you. So he called his disciples. He called us. He calls the church. And he sends them over and he says, they all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything All she had to live on. He uses this beautiful example of this woman who he sees and understands her in her situation, sees her value, sees the value of her gift, and calls the the church around, calls the disciples around and said, this, I want you to see, don't ever forget this. Don't get so focused on the amount that is given that you miss the contribution and the sacrifice that everyone can give when they understand the generosity of God. She gave all she had to live on. It's as if Jesus is saying to His disciples and to us today as disciples, where's your focus? Are you you focused on the amount? Or are you focused on all? 
Let me explain that a little bit. Jesus isn't after your money. Jesus is after your heart. He's after your all. Because He believes when He heals your heart, you will begin to see that God is the God of generosity. And God is the one who will sustain you and help you. And when He heals your heart, you will get in line with the generous God. And it will include your finances. And as we've already said, your attitude and your time and your attention. So don't let this be all the church is asking for your money. The church isn't asking for your money. God is asking for your all, for your heart. And when that happens, everything else will line up. So don't focus on your amount. Focus on, have I given Jesus my all? Have I given Him my heart? Have I let Him come in and say, you are... As we sung right at the beginning, you alone are the matchless king. To you alone do I give everything. That's where the focus of this is. Where is your focus? On the amount or on the all? God wants you to understand that when he heals your heart, I love this verse. Second Corinthians, this is Paul writing about generosity to a very wealthy church. It might speak to us. And he wants them to know, as he's encouraging them to give, that you need to understand that God is able to bless you all abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, he used a word there quite often. I I think we need to go back. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in how many things? In how many times? Having... How much that you need? All that you need. When God has your all and your heart understands it, you will know the truth of this verse. Because God has given His all for you in Jesus. So where's your focus? On the amount or on the all? Where There's another focus question here. Where is your focus? Are you focused on the amount Or are you focused on not all, a lot of A's today, but awe? Are you focused on the amount? Or are you focused on awe? And this has something to teach us no matter what your economic situation is today. I want you to, I I had the opportunity to read a fascinating study and watch a video uh, on this, on this study as well, a presentation. And and this is by uh, Paul Piff. He's a PhD. Uh, professor out, I think, in University of California, one of those way out there. But he was looking at the connection between generosity and awe. It started because he recognized, and the studies that he had done were showing, that folks in lower income status are proportionately more generous than those who have more wealth. And he wondered why that was. And he came to some conclusions there. I'm not going to uh, belabor that in this, in this study. But he wanted to know what then makes a change for someone who is not very generous. What would cause them to become a little more generous? He said some of the reasons why they're not is a little bit of a lack of compassion and empathy. So maybe that's in it. What, what is it? And what they found surprised them. They found that Awe leads to generosity. 
I won't go into the full study, and you can thank me for that later. But part of what they did in setting up their study was their, their campus was near the Redwoods. And so they would have a certain portion of their sample go and look specifically at the grandeur and majesty of the Redwood Forest for 60 seconds. One minute. In the time it it takes me to say this to you, it'll have been one minute. Just a little bit of time. But they found through their study that 60 seconds of looking in awe at the majesty of some big old trees it significantly increased that person's compassion, empathy, and generosity. I like the way William James says this. He says, awe is an immense elation and freedom that allows the outlines of confining selfhood to melt down. This allows for the feelings of preoccupation with the self to also melt down. And it triggers an increased orientation to the world around you and increases the connection to others and their needs. This is again where science is just proving what God has already done. That God created you in His image. And God therefore, if He is generous, says that we are operating at our best when we are generous. And we were meant to live in relationship with this God. We were meant in the, you know, all the way back in Genesis, we found that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. We were meant to have these awe-inspiring moments every day of our life. So where's your focus? When was the last time you were in awe of anything? Can you think about that? We were created for it. We were created to have these experiences that would cause the selfish, focused self to melt away so that we could see the world around us and maybe even see the needs of others. When was the last time you were in awe? When was the last time you were in awe of God? There's a good question. We do our best week in and week out to try and create a service through music, through prayer, through readings, and, and yes, even through preaching that somehow, some way would try and help you to understand the awesomeness of our God and how deeply and passionately He loves you. But it doesn't have to happen just here in church. When was the last time you went outside on a starry evening out in the middle of nowhere and looked up and saw the Milky Way galaxy and the stars and the planets and thought about this. I'm going to read this to you. I want you to, I want you to hear this. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. Imagine yourself out there. You can, you can even pretend it's summer, so it's okay to be out in shorts in the evening. You have to stay up till 1 o'clock in the morning for it to be dark. But, but you look up and you see the stars You hear the sounds of nature all around you. When was the last time that happened? And you thought to yourself in Colossians 1, For in Him, he's talking about Jesus, all things were created 
Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. To think about the vastness of the universe. To think about that Voyager 2 launched on the year my wife was born. And it just now, this past week, left just our solar system. Can you, are, you, are you in awe of just how vast our one tiny little solar system is in all the universes of galaxies and solar systems? And Paul writes that in him all of that holds together. Are you in awe? I am. I got, I got goose, goosebumps. If you are, we're working on that compassion, generosity. Maybe the one who in Him all of this holds together can sustain your life too. Maybe that will cause you to see that you're just like me and I'm just like you and we're in this together and and we can help one another because we stand in the midst of the one in whom all things hold together. When was the last time you just walked out? This is, this is Michigan. You live in this state. And this is a beautiful time of year, is it not? When was the last time you just walked out and saw the majesty of one maple tree or one oak tree in all of its brilliant colors and vibrancy and thought of the words that Paul used when he was preaching in Athens and he said, in Him we live and move and have our being. When was the last time... You weren't focused on an amount, but you were focused on what you were created for. You were focused on awe, the awe and wonder of what God does. When was the last time that you came to the table that the Lord set before us and thought of the vastness of our God? And thought that that God loved you so much that He became flesh and lived among us. Was born vulnerably as a beautiful baby that in itself can cause awe as you hold your own child. That He lived and moved around us. He healed and did some incredibly awesome things. That He gave His life. The God in whom all things hold together gave His life for you. Because He loves you. That He was raised to new life. How awesome is that? And He offers that same life to you. For you to live in your daily life. Life that is truly life. He offers it to you. So that you can walk around knowing that in the vastness of all the universe, it's in Him that it all holds together. And He took specific time with His disciples to make sure there was bread and there was cup so that you could be reminded that the One in whom all things hold together loved you so much that He wants you to hear His words, this is my very body, broken for you. That's how generous I am. This is my blood poured out for you so that your brokenness and your sins could be forgiven. How awesome is that? When was the last time you approached the table 
filled with awe and wonder at how deeply, passionately, vastly God's love is for you today. That He sees you in your circumstance and He knows what life has done to you. And He knows that you hold value. He knows that you are able to sacrifice greatly no matter if you have a lot or a little. And He invites you to focus on the awe of His love. His willingness to forgive and be merciful. All of this is wrapped up in a tiny piece of bread that is His body. And a tiny little cup that is His blood. I don't know about you, but that's pretty awesome. So today, I'm going to invite you to the table. And I'm going to say to you what I say every week about this table. Whenever we take this, I say this is not my table. This is not our church's table. This is not any church's table. This is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who said he wants his table full. And so we say to you today, whether this is your first time here or you've been here all your life, if you are hungry for the awesome God who so loved you that He gave everything, and you're hungry for Him, you come and receive bread and you come and receive cup. And receive it with gratefulness and awe. And maybe, just maybe, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that somehow mysteriously is in the bread and the cup will break down that focused inward self and cause you to see those around you. Are you ready? I want us to take just a moment. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Whatever you need to think of. that invites you into the awesome presence of God. Whether it's thinking of creation, whether it's imagining yourself standing before the cross, hearing Him cry and depend on God the Father's generosity into your hands, I commit my spirit. Whether it's to imagine being at the tomb, that it's empty, whether it's imagining and remembering when God saved you and forgave your sins. Wherever that is, allow the Holy Spirit to lead you there right now in this moment. And as that happens, I am praying, I am praying that that inward-focused self will begin to melt away. And as you receive the generous gift of God at the table, that you will sense that you are called to be generous. That you are called to give your all for the one who gave his all for you. Father, we thank you for your generosity in creation. 
What a beautiful world you have created. I can't believe you would entrust it to us. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you for the strength and sustaining, comforting power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would fill us with awe on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took bread and He took cup. He broke the bread and He said, This is My body, broken for you. Take and eat. Later He poured out the cup and said, This is My blood shed for you. New covenant. Take and drink. Father, we thank You for this day. May we continually be reminded that we were created for awe. And that as You lead us into that incredible, awesome experience, it is good for every part of us. It melts away our selfish tendencies and we begin to see even just a little more clearly that You are abundantly generous to give us all that we need in all things and in all circumstances. Therefore, we can be generous. So help us to give, yes, of our finances, but more importantly, our heart. Yes, our time, but more importantly, our lives. Yes, our attention, but more importantly, give you our sin that you might transform it. For we ask and pray all of these things in the name of the Father who is for us, in the name of the Son who is with us, in the name of the Spirit who is in us, one God forever and ever. And everyone said, would you stand and receive the final blessing? And now, may you know that God knows you. Jesus sees you. Knows your circumstances. Knows your value. Knows the value of your contribution. Sees your sacrifice. May you, as a disciple, focus on giving your all. And in being awed, may you find your selfishness melt away in the vastness of His great love. I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Go in His name. Go in peace.